0: By no one's demand, but our own. And from our home office, in fact, from the DraftKings Sportsbook Studios, in sunny, scenic, hot as hell, Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the award-winning 615 Sessions podcast. It is powered by the fine folks at Two Rivers Ford and brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Hello, friends. Happy Tuesday, Not to be self-involved right out of the gate, but it's my birthday, so I'm going to go ahead and wish myself a happy birthday on this edition of the podcast, because I'm alone in a room by myself, in my office by myself, taping a podcast, because that's what we do. Because football season is just about here. SEC Media Day is underway. In fact, Josh Heupel will be speaking today. But that is not what we are here to do on the podcast. We are here to talk about what the hell is happening with the Nashville Predators. Something called a competitive rebuild, in David Poyle's own words, and I have no idea what the hell that means. So we've brought on Adam Vingen of The Athletic to go through all of the news, all of the moves. I mean, it's a week ago today that Pecorine retired, and it feels like it's been six months ago because everything that's been happening with the hockey team. So that is the subject of today's discussion with Vingan. But first, I have to remind you about what's happening at Two Rivers Ford, a ton. If you haven't been following Ford lately, they've introduced some amazing vehicles. The all-new 2021 F-150 with a power onboard generator, the 2022 all-electric F-150 Lightning, the Ford Maverick pickup, the all-electric Mustang Mach-E, and of course, the Ford Bronco is back. When it comes to technology, Ford is cutting edge. Like the Ford Pass app that syncs with your vehicle, lets you start your car from your phone, and alerts you when you need service. The new Fords are loaded to the gills with this kind of technology. But honestly, what makes Two Rivers Ford the best Ford dealer around is what isn't new. And that's the fact that they've been giving their customers the same honest upfront pricing and unparalleled buying experience since 1983. So if you're in the market for a vehicle, contact one of the non-commissioned sales staff at Two Rivers Ford and see what Ford has to offer. Two Rivers Ford, powered by Ford, driven by people. Let's get to Venga.
1: It banging, it, banging it, banging it, banging it.
0: So of course, that's how we start the podcast with Adam Vingen of The Athletic. Wait, work. that was being recorded? Yeah. Did you not hear the woman's voice who says this podcast or this uh, Zoom is now being recorded? That's done I that,
1: specifically. I call that the tubing. <laughs> I call that the tubin just because now people understand um, yeah they're being recorded at all times, so don't do anything improper while on a zoom meeting i don't know if the timing of the automatic voice and the allegations regarding jeffrey Tubin, which were not allegations they were proven um and he apologized for them i don't know if they were they happened at the same time but i've i've come to call it the Tubin.
0: yeah so uh Vingen starts the podcast by being tubin or rachel nichols or whatever you want to call it now, I'm not doing was.
1: anything Jeffrey Tubin was doing. Don't put that thought in people's mind. Well,
0: that's an important clarification for the people who are only listening to this podcast and not watching us on the A to Z Sports YouTube page. That voice, of course, who is not going to get in any trouble, but instead we are going to bang out this podcast together is Adam Vingen of The Athletic because there's a hell of a lot more happening with the Nashville Predators than should be happening on June or July the 19th. Uh, at this point uh, an exciting couple of weeks certainly a lot of good coverage there at athletic.com. well worth your subscription Wingen, um <laughs> where Where do we start where where do we even begin because I mean it's been some time since Pecorina retired at this point I don't think we need to in a week what are you talking about <laughs> Vingan, I'm talking in too many places, buddy. It all seems like it happened ten years ago for me. That I was last Tuesday. Yeah, so not even a week. Not even a week at this point. Uh, Victor Arvidsson has been traded. Ryan Ellis has been traded. There's a list of protected players and unprotected players uh, for the Nashville Predators with the looming expansion draft. So, I'll, and and a an openly gay predator announced today, uh, Luke Prokop, I believe. Is Correct. the defenseman's name on SportsCenter as I go back and forth between SEC Media Days and ESPN, buddy? I'll I'll let you pick because this is there's a whole lot of shit that we got to talk about to do with the hockey team that you cover, and uh, I can't keep my head on straight with it.
1: Well, let's start with the news of today, Monday, July nineteenth, yeah. and that is Predators defensive prospect Luke Prokop came out as gay. Yep. Um, he is the first active player under NHL contract to come out as gay, according to ESPN um, over at the athletic our Pierre LeBron had what I like to think is the definitive story uh, about Luke Prokop's decision as well as his, let's call it journey uh, to get to this point. Um, I have not had an opportunity to meet Luke yet, um, the Predators should be hosting their development camp here in the next couple of weeks, and uh, and he will be a part of that. So I hope to have the opportunity to meet him and talk to him. But, you know, it we have seen the tide turn, so to speak, towards larger degrees of acceptance of LGBTQ plus people. Um, and I think this is a, a great step Um towards, uh, you know, towards more inclusion in professional sports. Uh, the predators have been incredibly supportive. Um, you know, I, I, recommend everybody go read the story that Pierre wrote on the athletic. It is unlocked. So even if you do not subscribe to the athletic, which you should, by the way, but even if you don't, you can read it. Um, it is a longer read, but it's worth every minute. Um, he does a great job of breaking down everything about Luke. So, I'm not sure if you say congratulations at a time like this, um, but, you know, it's an incredibly brave thing um, that Luke did. And I'm glad that he is happy and receiving a lot of support from not just the Predators, but around the league. And I even saw Billie Jean King uh, retweet our story and offer her uh, support. So hopefully this will have more far-reaching impact than just within the NHL.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is, it is an interesting, you know, how do you, how do you discuss it? How do you, you know, how do you, you, you obviously cover the story of an openly play gay uh, or openly gay player in any sport, whether it's Carl Nassib who announced uh, that on social media a couple of weeks ago in the NFL, the Las Vegas Raiders pass rusher. And now with Luke Prokop in the NHL, and of course having a local tie with the predators, you know, it, it, you you do want to congratulate them I think because this is it takes a, a great deal of bravery especially give, considered it was my understanding that he's only 19 years old Vingan is that accurate 19 years old
1: that is the case I'm checking right now yeah 19 um, years old yeah, and and this 90. is somebody
0: this is somebody who has not yet been through as Vingan pointed out his his first NHL training camp he is somebody who's been on the lower level of things for the Predators organization, since they signed him to a three, what it was three year, uh, three year entry level level contract contract. back in December.
1: Yeah. He was playing junior hockey. Right. um, And the expectation is that he'll be a part of the Predators prospect development camp this summer and and potentially could uh, join the Predators organization, either in the ECHL, um, which is the equivalent of double a baseball or even the AHL, which is the league directly under the NHL. A. Milwaukee Admirals, for the yeah. in the case of the Predators. So, yeah, I mean, you do want to
0: congratulate him because this is a big step in in his life, and certainly something that he wanted to make public and and do on his own terms. And so, you would congratulate him in that regard. Yeah, I'm also, you know, I have great admiration for somebody like that who, because that's you're you're inviting a whole lot of a whole lot of mess one way or the other into your life, and and hopefully at some point societally, we, we move on from this needing to be an announcement that requires so much dedicated media attention, not because it's not important, but just because it's normalized behavior and we no longer have to make a scene every time. Right. And I don't want to, making a scene is probably not the right phrase that I should use, but I think the audience understands what I'm saying, where mm-hmm. you know, we, we hope to get to a place where this is normalized and does not need to be treated as an anomaly Rather and and Garner, you know, ESPN coverage in a and a massive uh, article, a really well done article on the athletic uh, from Vingan's teammate Pierre Lebron. So you know, I, I think it's multi layered, multifaceted, but it is it is good to see, as you mentioned. The amount of support. Now, I'm sure there's plenty of bad shit in his mentions too. When you put that on Twitter, you got to understand exactly what you're opening yourself up to. And like when I first saw the tweet this morning, my, my guy Luke was about 600 followers. Last I checked, he was north of 8,000. So he's certainly <laughs> going. To, he's certainly going to get uh, exposed to a lot more people very, very quickly. But you know, in terms of in terms from the from the hockey standpoint. You know, with my question, I guess Vingan is there are so many different cultures in an NHL locker room or even an, an NHL organization. If he does not, in fact, play for the Predators organization in the near future, whether he goes to the EC is it ECL the- ECHL ECHL or the AHL as opposed to the NHL. You know, hockey is such a such an interesting dynamic from all of the different cultures that you have. Many cultures with many different beliefs and stances on on the idea of homosexuality. So with with this, you know, I I know what it looks like, or at least I have an understanding of what it looks like in an NFL locker room. Mm -hmm. How do you think that players from all of these different cultures are going to receive somebody like Luke Prokop?
1: It is a good question, and we often talk about hockey culture, quote-unquote, as being the kind that does not want anybody above the team or does not want, you know, anything to be considered a distraction. Um, Not that I believe homosexuality is a distraction at all. It absolutely isn't. Um, But the Predators have, as I said, have made a point, not just in the story I referenced from Pierre, but Sean Henry and David Poyle put out statements today. I believe Roman Yossi put out a statement today. You know, the predators have said they are 100 percent behind Luke. You know, the one thing that I am curious about is this. You know, the, the predators are going to go about their business with Luke as they would with any other prospect. If Luke is good enough to play in the NHL, he's going to play in the NHL. If he's good enough to play in the AHL, he's going to play in the AHL. Um, If Luke never gets past the ECHL, which I don't think would be the case, but if he is a career minor leaguer, let's just say that, even though though the Predators are doing what's best for them as well as Luke's development, they probably will open themselves up to criticism depending on what happens. There will definitely be people – that say, well, the reason why Luke is not getting a chance at the NHL level is because he's gay. And I just want to, you know, make it clear that the Predators aren't thinking that way. If Luke Prokop earns a role on the Nashville Predators, it's going to be because he just, he demonstrated it on the ice. It's not because they fear that if they don't give him a shot in the NHL, they'll be accused of discrimination. Um, And, I like to think that most people won't think that way, but you have to imagine that some people will think that way. Right. Um, And I am, you know, I, I caution those who might have such a feeling, such a reaction, if that were to come to pass, to think about things more logically than that. Well, you your ad—that's a tall task, Ving, and you. Good luck. You Good luck. I know. Even <laughs> as I was saying it, I was just like, "Oh my god! Uh, what,
0: what a romantic! Uh, what a romantic world that Adam Ving and our friend from the Athletic has about the way that uh, people in sports consume or discuss even the events such as this." So, with that being said, it, it will be continue to be a developing story, certainly you know it will it will probably fade from the spotlight after we get out of this week and and, and as we get further and further into the hockey offseason before teams start hosting their camps. But with with what what else is happening with this organization between the trade of Ryan Ellis and I really enjoyed your article kind of outlining how far Ryan Ellis has I mean fallen may not be the right term but how quickly things devolve from 2018 where David Poyle is giving him an eight, uh, a $50 million contract um, across eight years in 2018 and saying, um, you know, this is somebody who, if, if possible, we would like to see, and I'm paraphrasing here, but we would like to see him play if possible, his career here in Nashville for the predators. He's one of these pieces, That We talk about all the time from the 2017 Stanley Cup run that they ended up signing to a long-term contract and who, you know, whether it be because of an accumulation of injuries, age or all of the above has underperformed on a high on a on a substantive salary. So Ryan Ellis gets traded away to the Philadelphia Flyers. They get a couple of guys back uh, who one of whom they basically swapped to Las Vegas in order to trade for another uh, another player. At this point, so now with Arvidsson out, with Ellis out, about ten and a half million dollars in change that they've cleared up in these two moves, and I think somewhere in the area of twenty-six million that they have total available to them. Vingan, they they have to make use of the money that they have available to them, and as you pointed out in your article, you know it's it's a reasonable assumption to say that they're nowhere close to done.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's just start off with, you know, the the, the initial reaction to the Ryan Ellis trade and, you know, sometimes as a person whose job it is to be on top of everything related to the team, even, you know, I very rarely have I do I get surprised by something that happens, even if I am not the first person to have it or break the news, you know, if something happened a lot of stuff that happens, I'm not shocked. For example, the Victor Arvidsson trade, I was not surprised that it happened. I mean, I you know, it was something I, you know, wrote that they should do, you know, from the end of the season. And they did it. They got two draft picks out of it. That wasn't a surprise. Ryan Ellis being traded to me was a surprise. Um, just because of how beloved he he is by David Poyle. Um, and you referenced uh, the quote I used at the top of my story on Saturday from the day that well, it was a couple of days after Alice signed that eight year contract about how David said, I'll do everything in my power to make sure that he finishes his career here. Well, that obviously didn't happen. Um, but, you know, the the respect um, that Ryan had within the Predators organization, it just didn't it didn't seem likely that it would happen. I mean, would they consider it? Sure. But would they ultimately do it? I wasn't, I was skeptical. Right. Um, and, and, and they did. And, you know, when I think back to Ryan Ellis's most, you know, most recent, the last few years in Nashville, you know, I, I would argue that Ryan Ellis was the most polarizing Predators player among the fan base. Um, I don't believe there's any middle ground with Ryan Ellis. When you ask people for their opinion, when you ask predators fans for their opinion on Ryan Ellis, there's no middle ground. Yeah. There are people who say, I love him. He's great. He sacrifices his body. He's a great leader, great two way defender. Then the other side, he's small, he's injury prone. He's overpaid. Um, I, I almost, I can almost guarantee you that if you were to ask three, people who are Predators fans that do not like Ryan Ellis, why they don't like Ryan Ellis. If the first thing out of their mouth is not the play in game five of the 2019 playoff series against the stars, where he and Jamie Ben went back for a puck and Ben just swatted him away like a gnat. If that's not the first thing out of their mouths, I'll be surprised. Um, And look, if Ryan Ellis were the size of Matthias Ekholm, he'd have a lot more fans, I think. But Ryan Ellis is widely respected in the NHL. And he's going to go to Philadelphia. He's going to be on their first pair with Ivan Provorov. He's going to play 25 minutes a night. and He's probably going to do a really good job of it. Um, But as David Poyle said, to paraphrase on Saturday, that if he felt that the Predators, as constructed, were good enough to compete for a championship, he would not have traded Victor Arvidsson and he would not have traded Ryan Ellis. Right. And your point about the cap space, you know, their hope is to re-sign Matias Ekholm and Philip Forsberg, um, which they can do starting July 28th. They are, they have one year left on their respective contracts, but in the NHL unrestricted free agents, and I think unrestricted free agents as well can re-sign with their teams one year out from free agency such as Roman Yossi who signed his not eight year contract um, during his final season of his previous contract. So, you know, if, if their expectation is to sign both of them, that's going to take up a large chunk of that cap space. You know, they, they would like to re-sign Mikhail Granlund. Um, I understand that they're talking about re-signing Eric Hollow, who, who doesn't cost a lot, but they also have to re-sign UC Soros, Ellie Tolbinin, Dante Fabro, Tanner Janot, Matthew Olivier, like they have a ton of younger players who also need contracts. So I think a lot of that cap space is going to go to re-signing players already in the organization. Um, You know, the, the free agent crop, particularly at forward, you know, it's okay. Um, We'll see, you know, we'll see how, how that goes. You know, I personally, if I were then, if I were consulting them would tell them not to go big game hunting, so to speak in free agency, that's not what this team needs. You know, this team needs to rely on its youth. It needs to put more on the shoulders of the core players who are still on the team. And, and, and you know, David Poyle called it a quote unquote, repet, excuse me, competitive rebuild, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> um, I was looking, I was looking up store. I was, I, I typed competitive rebuild in quotes into Google and I want cause I wanted to see like, okay, are there any other teams that have done this? And the first non-hockey team, or first professional sports team, other than the stories that were recently written about the Predators, because they all reference that competitive rebuild line, were still like five or six years ago about the New York Jets. And the last (laughs) thing that you ever want as a professional sports franchise is to be compared in any way to the New York Jets. Oh, God. So, you know, we'll we'll see what what that means. But, you know, I did, and I think we, we may have talked about this the last time I was on the show. You know, a couple, about a month ago, I did a uh, Predators fan survey. And one of the questions I asked was, ideally, how should the Predators approach this offseason? And I gave the readers four choices. One was blow it up, which I said, trade away several core pieces and basically tank. Play for a lottery pick in next year's draft. There was stay the course, which was, you know, don't do anything drastic. You know, make the changes you need to make, but don't do anything that significant. Um, there was go for it, which is, you know, acquire a big name player, either via trade or free agency and try to extend the Stanley Cup window or what I called a soft reset, which is tweak the core and fill the roster holes with prospects or younger players. And the overwhelming majority of the people who participated in the poll said soft reset. And that's what I think we're seeing right now. You know, they, they got rid of Arvidsson, who's in his late 20s, Ellis, who's thirty. Pecorine retired. He's 38. You know, they bring in Philip Myers from Philadelphia. He's 24. They flipped Nolan Patrick for Cody glass. He's 22. You know, you've got Tolvanen who's in his early twenties, Carrier, Fabro, you know, they're all in their early to mid twenties, you know? So that's what this team needs to do. So, you know, I know a lot of predators fans will look at that big chunk of cap space and start salivating over the possibilities, but also when was the last time a major free agent acquisition or trade acquisition worked out for this team Maybe you shouldn't go down that road this time.
0: Well, and that's exactly where That's a fantastic transition into two dudes who they would be. They would beg Seattle to take off their roster, which is one. The last time they went big game free agent hunting and Matt Duchesne, who is uh, wildly underperformed by any stretch of the imagination, even though he seemed to redeem himself a little bit in this postseason, uh, despite them not advancing out of the first round against carolina and then ryan johansson who understandably does different things than duchene Duchesne is is marketed and is renowned for being a goal scorer and here in nashville he has not scored goals in the last two years that he's been on the roster uh, johansson is a different uh, a different kind of player a uh, somebody who has also though underperformed based on where his salary cap average annual figure is eight million dollars A piece for the both of them, and and uh, you know to your point, Vingan, where you're talking about uh, a whether it's a soft reset or a competitive rebuild, which delights me as a term because that's just a that's you know a a cliche as old as time, putting lipstick on a pig, basically. Anytime
1: you, I mean, the two the two terms are diametrically opposed. Yeah, I mean, the point of a rebuild in sports, you know, is to set yourself up for success later down the road. But it means a few lean years if you're lucky. You know the Buffalo Sabers have been in a rebuild for a decade. You know, so or trust the lucky. process with the
0: Philadelphia right.
1: seventy six. And, and how long did it take the Sixers to become a competent championship contending organization from the time they started the process? Right, five six years. Yeah. You know, I might be I might be wrong on that, but it t- it wasn't it wasn't instantaneous. Ballpark. Yeah. So the idea of a competitive rebuild, like to me, that means. Yeah, you'll probably be in the mix for a playoff spot. You, you know, if eight teams make the playoffs, maybe you finish in eighth if you have a good season. You probably finish ninth or tenth. You know, still not bad enough to, to acquire a draft pick that gets you that player that transforms your franchise. You know, to give you, to give, you, know, to give you a sense of things, I went back a couple of weeks ago, and I looked at the top 10 NHL scorers by points. This past season, and they're all forwards, of course. Yeah. Nine of the ten, if I recall this correctly, nine of the ten are first round picks. Five of the ten are number one picks. So the likes of Patrick Kane or Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby, Austin Matthews, you get players like that by sucking. You yeah. know, to their credit, the Predators have not been as bad in their history enough to, you know, get up there in the draft. So with this Cody glass, for example, who was the number six pick in the 2017 draft, like they, the predators wouldn't have been bad enough to take Cody glass. He, you know, he's had an up and down start to his NHL career. And they're hoping that at 22 years old, he's a reclamation project. They can, they can do for him what Vegas couldn't, yeah. but you know, you often hear why the, why can't the predators cultivate elite forward talent? Well, the problem is like how many, how many opportunities to get an elite forward have they had? Yeah. You know, you look at their back end; it's a who's who. Shea Weber, Ryan Suter, Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Matthias Ekholm, Seth Jones, Kimo Tiemann. Um, You know, I'm, I'm probably missing a couple of people. Um, you know, people who came up within the organization, Sam Gerard. Um, it, it So, yeah. I don't know. What, like I, I, you know, like you said, it's lipstick on the pig, you know, I don't know what a competitive rebuild is, but we'll find out. But to yeah. your point about Matthew Shane and Ryan Johansson, you know, I was not surprised in the slightest and I don't think anybody was no. that, that they were left off of the predators protection list, um, for the expansion draft, which is Wednesday. Um, neither player has lived up to his hefty salary, as you mentioned. Um, and I would be surprised if one of them ended up in Seattle. Um, you know, I, I think they're first of all they're far from they are far from the only high highly paid players that are available in the expansion. You know, I think the thinking among most teams is is that the Kraken are not going to make significant financial commitments to certain players, like to a lot of players. Uh, you know, if they went if they go the same route that Vegas did. Vegas took a lot of short term deals. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of players on lower cap hits, they flipped a lot of guys, you know, they picked up a lot of assets, draft picks and prospects. So if Seattle is going to do the same thing, it's unlikely that one of Dushane or Johansson will be selected unless the Predators heavily incentivize them to do so. But I can't, I can only imagine what that price would be. Like, would you like the, the question the Predators have to ask themselves is this, is it worth giving up? Let's just say, two draft picks and a roster player to get rid of Matthew Shane. Like if you're David Poyle, would you give up a first round pick, a third round pick and Cali Yarncroke for to, just to get rid of Matthew Shane? Hell no. I, I would not. No. You know, the most likely, I think the likeliest scenario and things change rapidly these days. So by the time you're listening to this, I could be completely wrong. Is that Cali Yarncroke to me makes the most sense as a Seattle Kraken expansion draft pick. So if he's if he is still on the Predators past Wednesday night, I would be surprised. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, there have been some discussions among Predators fans and media about, you know, how are Matthew Shane and Ryan Johansson going to react to this? How is the dressing room going to react to the trades of Arvidsson and Ellis? And how are how is Colton Sissons going to react about being unprotected? You know, how you know, how is Philip Forsberg going to think about resigning with all of these players no longer on the team? And quite frankly, I don't give a crap how right. they feel because this is this is on them. It's not good enough. It,
0: if if it was right. good enough, they as as they, in David Poyle's old words, if it was good enough, they would have kept the thing together. Instead, now we have a competitive rebuild, whatever the hell that means. And if those anything, players, those players have to be smart enough to know, Vingan, you know, self-awareness is not always something that comes in, in any uh, job, way, no, shape, but, or form. Yeah. But they have to understand that what they did last year regardless of how heroic an effort it was to squeak into the postseason at the end and to push Carolina the way that they did, they have to know that they largely shit the bed.
1: Well, when you think about how many opportunities this team got. So, of course, they, they go to the Stanley Cup final in 2017. Everybody's happy. Everybody's great. The following season, they win the president's trophy and they lose in a second round series in seven games to the Winnipeg Jets, who were the second best team in the NHL. So it wasn't like a significant upset. And famously, David Poyle said after that season that the players petitioned him to keep the group together to give it another run. And the following season was not as successful from a point standpoint, but they still won the central division and they went out in six games to uh, the Dallas stars. And I bet like at that time, like to me at that point was when this team needed to start being broken up was after the 2019 playoffs. I feel like if you're a team that says let's run it back, and you don't win, then I think there should be repercussions. And the only thing that happened really was PK Subban was traded, and they re- and they signed Matt Duchesne. Yeah. Then they go out and they lose to Arizona, a team that wouldn't have made the playoffs under normal circumstances. In the Edmonton bubble, they 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 mess with the the secondary pieces. You know, they trade Nick Bonino, they let Craig Smith go to free agency, they traded Austin Watson, they bought out Kyle Turris. You know, if anything, this team probably got at least two more chances than they deserved so when i think when i when i see philip forsberg put a big thumbs down on instagram you know does he have every right to be bummed that his one of his closest friends victor arvinson was traded yes he has i mean it's a as much of it as much as it is a business these guys are very close sure so if so if philip is philip can philip be angry sure i mean it sucks when you when you lose a friend but he also has to look himself in the mirror and say, "I am. I'm partly responsible for this." You know, Matt Shane, Ryan Johansson, Roman Yossi, Matthias Eckholm, Ryan Ellis—they're all partially responsible for this. So, you know, sh- should there be like, I'm, I'm not going to completely dismiss the idea that you know the predators shouldn't be concerned about how some of this is going to go over, but I'm also be like, like you guys, you make millions of dollars. You were supposed to be a Stanley Cup contender. You blew it. And this is what happens. So suck it up, everybody. Like, that's just how I feel about it.
0: That's a great way to end the podcast. Adam Ving dropping hard truths. Suck twos. it up. Uh, we're banging out podcasts. We're bang telling it, people bang to bang suck it. Suck it up. And thank, thankfully, nobody got tubing today. We've dodged a bullet for at least one more Do episode. Do you think everybody
1: listening is aware of what Jeffrey Tubin did? It no should we but,
0: explain it? Well, I don't think we should explain it. I think we should simply leave it as a segment called Google It and then let the people educate themselves uh yeah. in their own time. That would Google be Google
1: Jeffrey Tubin Zoom. Nah. All you need to know. And, and make sure you don't do it on a war computer. G O O B I N.
0: Yeah, and and you know, uh just just put aside W. Put, a, put aside the the great work that he did on the OJ documentary and make sure you hone in on exactly what went wrong for him at CNN, because that is a different matter entirely. It's uh, yeah. you know, we, in the zoom world, we always have to make sure when the camera's on, that's why they have the little voice that tells you when I'm recording Vingan head on yeah. a swivel. The tubing.
1: That's why I, I mean, I wonder if at zoom headquarters, they're like, like the, like the HTML code for that is like, the tube
0: in <laughs> probably probably some uh, some uh, programmer has put it in the code unbeknownst to the executives at large who are just worried about the liability of all this thanks for hanging out buddy
1: all right thanks bud
0: all right it's been some time since we've done a music city mailbag but i've got a bunch of questions in my Instagram DMs that we will get to momentarily. First, a word from our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, my favorite sportsbook, but also America's top-rated sportsbook. Speaking of America, our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold, and DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for my listeners. Place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. Any medal. Gold, silver, bronze, you name it. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code A2ZSports when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a medal. That's code A2ZSports to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Tennessee only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you are someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call or text the Tennessee red line 1-800-889-9789. Now, for some Music City mailbag questions. We start with one of our favorites around here, whos uh, who we've gotten a little bit in a... Of, in a in a bit of a, excuse me, hook, line, and sinker type situation. Because he sent me a DM. Uh, This is from 10sports on Instagram, and it's the top 10 players within the AFC South according to ESPN's polling series. So if you missed any of this, uh, ESPN went position by position, I think 11 positions in total, with top 10 rankings of each position. The Titans had seven players in their respective top 10s, uh, the Colts three, the Jags one, the Texans one. No team, and this is according to our friend Mike Miracles, no team makes up a bigger percentage of the total elite players in their division than the Titans. So Clay Garrett at MC Garetti, I think is how it is, or MC Garrett the second. I'm not sure. Either way, Clay says, "Hey Buck, long time, first time here. Just a real quick question: Is it now or never, or do we, uh, or do?" I don't, I'm not quite sure what Clay is trying to say here, but it says, or do we a year or two of runway, or do we have a year or two of runway is what he's asking me. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. So, I mean, for the Titans, it's not now or never this year, right? It's, it's the, it's the timeline that Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill are on, which is three years on their contracts, including this season. Now, Derrick Henry's contract is a little more fluid, right? Right. That contract was always a two-year deal with the way that it was structured. It's kind of along the same lines as John Robinson and Vin Marino's M.O. They can get out from under it pretty easily if they need to in 2022 without major repercussions. But yeah, I mean, there's no question that the Titans are the most talented team in this division. Top-heavy-wise, that's never been the question. The question is, can they sustain what is their depth situation because I do believe the Colts to be a deeper roster from top to bottom. The Jags, uh, they, if they improve substantially, it would be like from one games to six. I mean, maybe seven. Despite having the first round or the first overall pick at quarterback the, this year in Trevor Lawrence. The Texans just largely seem godforsaken also. Although I'm sure they'll find a way to muck things up for a couple of the teams in the AFC South. So no, it's not now or never. In fact, it's uh, you've, you've got some runway to work with as M.C. Garrett asks. But I would just say to you that, yeah, it's critical that you take advantage of this year because Julio Jones, if he performs well and you don't win a Super Bowl, he's going to want a new contract. He's going to want a contract extension. He is going to make you pay for the services of Julio Jones because that's his M.O. And that is something uh, with Ryan Tannehill, with Derrick Henry, with a contract extension that A.J. Brown will soon be due, Jeffrey Simmons as well, Nate Davis who's been one of the best players on that team, young players on that team at great value. You have to, for the financial purposes, take advantage of this window that has been reopened for you. Uh, Steve Dalton at Stephen D. Dalton on Instagram writes, Ask the Titans or a player, since no fans can attend practice, can I be invited as a guest to watch by myself? I won't tell nobody else. So Stephen is reacting to an email that we got, I guess that would have been last week, I think on Friday of last week, where the Titans have said, yeah, no fans will be able to attend training camp practices this year, and they will not be able to have a stadium practice for fans because of conflicts with, uh, with oh, I'm blanking on the name of the famous country music singer, Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks, Nashville SC, has a couple of games in August. At Nissan Stadium, you have the Music City Grand Prix, which is going to utilize the parking lot at Nissan Stadium, which complicates things for fans trying to get in and out, and the Titans to host an event there. So uh, there will be no fans in attendance at training camp practices this year, unless you know some of you are traveling to Tampa Bay or live in Tampa Bay and want to go see the Titans have joint practices against the Bucks. And even then, I don't know what the Bucks, the Buccaneers situation is for hosting fans at their facility. But I know that a lot of you are disappointed by this. I know that a lot of you are disheartened by this because this is exciting. This team's got a lot of juice. This team's got Julio Jones, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill. The list goes on and on. But unfortunately, you will have to wait. And maybe fortunately for the Titans because they can charge you a hell of a lot more money to attend a preseason game or attend a regular season game in order to see your new squad um, rather than having you attend a free training camp practice all right Ethan Jordan I believe concludes this week's no there's one more but Ethan Jordan on Instagram writes in uh, asking about congratulations on the checkmark yes for those of you who do not know because I've been loud about it on social media I got verified on Twitter on Sunday and I've been just ecstatic it's the best birthday gift that anybody's ever given me anyway uh, he says, I hope all of your dreams have come now come true. Next on the docket is to get a dog. Here's a question for you to answer. Which position group would you say is most up in the air when it comes to who is kept outside of the starters? Offensive line, quarterback, running back, something else. And then he says, second question, what breed of dog are you going to get? Yeah, no dogs for me. I'm not a uh, dog person. Just, I mean, dogs and children, not for me. Um, but... So let me let me kind of process this question again. When it comes, what position group would you say is most up in the air when it comes to who is kept outside of the starters? Offensive line, quarterback, running back, something else. So that's an interesting conversation. I, you know, I guess outside of the starters, I'm kind of interested in the defensive line depth, right? Because you don't have Daquan Jones this year. I think T.R. Tart might be your starting nose tackle. Now, of course, you have to go through training camp to kind of suss that out. So if you have Jeffrey Simmons, you have Denico Autry, maybe T.R. Tart gets some starts in a three-down defensive lineman front, which they don't often run, to be completely honest with you. More often than not, they got two-down defensive linemen in their base defense and bring two guys off the edge that are pass rushers, either Bud Dupree or... Harold Landry, I mean maybe you could consider Rashad Weaver a down defensive lineman even though he, he practices with the outside linebacker. So, you know, behind Tier Tart, you're looking at Laurel Murchison. Um you're looking at a lot of guys uh, undrafted dudes who will be trying to make the roster. There is not there is not quite as much certainty or I guess there are more unknowns about that position more than any other. You know what your secondary is going to look like. You know what your wide receiving core is going to look like. I mean, outside of the top three, I think it's, you know, Cam Batson, it's still Cody Hollister. We'll see who makes the roster out of Chester Rogers or Marcus Johnson. Defensive line, it's not sexy, especially because we're talking about interior defensive line, but I am curious to see who makes the cut from that standpoint because I can't imagine they keep too many down defensive linemen. Um, and really, every other position seems to largely be resolved, which is a good place to be in. Outside of backup quarterback, I, I, I'm convinced that Deshaun Kaiser is going to be the backup. And maybe they are able to keep Logan Woodside in some capacity, whether it's a, a COVID quarterback on, on what we think will be expanded practice squad rosters again, as they were last year to adapt for the protocol. But yeah, defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen, to be specific, I think. Is where the most uncertainty lies. All right. Smash Adams at underscore smash underscore Adams on the gram. The final Music City mailbag question. I swear I thought I was following you over here too. Well, that's okay, as long as you are now. But here's my question oh, It's Delaney Walker. Does Delaney have a legitimate debate point with how Tennessee hurt his Hall of Fame chances? He sat behind Vernon in, he's talking about Vernon Davis. Sat behind Vernon in San Francisco for about four or five seasons, then signs with the Titans and becomes their number one target for basically his entire tenure with the team, while also putting up good numbers. One could say his time with the Titans actually helped his chances, but spending so much time away from the game right now is putting more of a damper on those chances. So um, there's a lot there. And in fact, I just, I, as we're taping this at 1030 on a Monday night for you guys to here Tuesday morning as you awake because we don't take breaks around here I just did the primetime show on this and I did a numbers comparison because basically my argument was you know I I understand where Delaney's coming from he definitely played in a small market in Tennessee he was late to the party in terms of when he became a top target as he was in Tennessee became a top tight end a starting tight end and statistically he was able to make up a lot of ground during his time with the Titans but for Delaney Walker you cannot give me a Hall of Fame argument if you weren't even able to unseat a tight end on your own team for the first four or five years of your career as you're talking about with Vernon Davis because I went and looked up Vernon Davis's numbers next to Delaney Walker to kind of understand what the what the difference was. The catches they're not far apart cuz Delaney is sitting here with 505, or excuse me, 504, 5888 yards, 11.7 yards per reception, 36 total touchdowns. Playing behind Vernon Davis, who was a top draft choice, 6th overall, 583 receptions, but Vernon was able to do a hell of a lot more with those Receptions, 7,562 yards, 13 yards per reception, 63 total touchdowns. Then I went and looked at Frank Wycheck's numbers just to see where he stacks up with Titans tight ends. So from a receptions perspective, Frank has got Delaney Walker by one. Frank Wycheck, 505 to Delaney Walker's 504. Yardage-wise, Delaney Walker is superior, 5,126 yards for Wycheck, Superior, also in touchdowns. But when you look at guys who are in the Hall of Fame, and and listen, I'm well aware that the two guys I'm about to list off the numbers for are clear-cut Hall of Famers. But uh, you don't have to win a Super Bowl, as Delaney Walker is alleging, to go to the Hall of Fame. If you haven't heard that audio clip, uh, courtesy of Sirius XM NFL Radio, Delaney basically said that, You know, small market team, hurt his chances. Titans don't get primetime games. The fan base isn't as good as somewhere like Atlanta or a bigger market where he's able to get more attention and get more eyes on what he was able to accomplish. So I looked at guys who are clear-cut indisputable or undisputable. Indisputable? Undisputable. Anyway. Guys who are in the Hall of Fame, all right? Now, (laughs) Shannon Sharp is not just an incredibly loud personality on television nowadays, he's also one of the greatest tight ends to ever play the sport. 815 receptions, 10,060 yards, 12.3 yards per reception, 62 touchdowns, Hall of Famer, 8-time Pro Bowl, 4-time All-Pro, 3-time Super Bowl champion Shannon Sharp. Uh, No question about it. In the Hall of Fame. Delaney doesn't hold a candle. In fact, Shannon almost doubles him up. Then you go further up the list to a guy who did not win a Super Bowl, but let the statistics do the talking, as Delaney Walkers do not. 1,325 receptions, 15,127 yards, 11.4 yards per reception, 111 touchdowns. The players who The player whose statistics I have just read to you is a 14-time Pro Bowler, a 16-time All-Pro. He is in the Hall of Fame. He is Tony Gonzalez. Delaney doesn't even sniff that. That's damn near three times. uh, In terms of just receiving yards, three times almost. Tony Gonzalez's uh, numbers up against Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker is who Delaney Walker is at all because he had the opportunity in Tennessee. Rustin Webster, for whatever he was as a general manager, identified something in Delaney Walker that he saw could be a top target at that position. And sure enough, on a bad football team, Delaney Walker was able to thrive. That's not to diminish Delaney Walker. He got his opportunity in Tennessee, and he made the most of it. But that's where he got his opportunity. That's where he was able to try and take advantage of those opportunities. And that's where, ultimately... The numbers say that he doesn't he pales in comparison to any number of those guys who we have just discussed, whether it's Gonzalez, whether it's Vernon Davis, whether it's Shannon Sharp. Delaney Walker is is uh, not his his thought process in saying what he did. It's not necessarily grounded in reality. And in fact, we'll put that we'll put that clip in the podcast for you post production so that you can hear it. Right now, Delaney, I think the simple answer may be, uh, I just like to play, but uh, I sit back and see a guy that's accomplished all that you have. Kirk mentioned the three pro bowlers, three pro bowls, 14 years. You played one game in 18. You played seven in 19. You sat out last year. Well, what motivates you to want to play even more games going forward?
2: Uh just, man, I, man, I want to win a Super Bowl, honestly. I feel like that, that helps you in, in your status as you retire in this game, and it's sad that that's something that you, you got to have um, to be recognized sometimes. And again... Me being in, in Tennessee, I hate to say this, but that hurts my value in any type of um, awards or accolades because I did play in Tennessee. And you can look at some of the greats like Eddie George uh, and them guys just not being getting them coats yet and uh it's because they didn't win a super bowl and they played in tennessee so i'm try. i look at it if i can win a super bowl maybe that will help me and uh see go from there
0: you know i i find it so interesting and i i I love the honesty in what way will it help you other than legacy which i think we all understand but delaney in fairness you know outside of the quarterback position a wide julio jones may retire without a
2: super bowl we're not going to look at him any differently you know what i mean so so what, in what way do you think it helps you? Why are you so motivated by just that? Well, you say Julio, but he played in Atlanta. Look at Atlanta and they fan base. Look at the, the, the type of players that played in Atlanta and look where they at. Now, when I say when you play in an organization like Nashville, it's because it's so small. Our fan base is not as great as some of these organizations that are the players that play that day being great in them organizations. They get them accolades, but when you play in Tennessee, not a lot. Of, you don't get prime time, You don't get primetime games. You don't get a lot of people seeing your games. But you don't get mentioned a lot. So sometimes you don't get brought up in these conversations. But when you have a Super Bowl ring, they bring you up in these conversations.
0: So I think there's a lot of truth. In what Delaney says about small market and, and you know, the teams that he played for. But also, you know, tough shit. You played for the Titans teams that didn't win. Now the Titans win. Under Mike Vrabel, the Titans are a winning organization. And under Mike Malarkey in his final year, they made the playoffs without question. Delaney was a big part of that. But Delaney is talking about the Titans in a in a past tense almost. Because this is not the same organization that Delaney Walker played for. This is a much different one, and one that seems to have the support of the fans and seems to get national attention. Nothing is keeping A.J. Brown or Del- or, uh, uh, or Derrick Henry or Taylor Lewan or Roger Saffold from making any of these top ten lists on ESPN where the Titans have seven. The next col- cl- closest in their division is the Colts with three. The Titans are getting recognition right now. Delaney Walker did not play for the teams that were recognizable. And that is how we will end the podcast on this Tuesday. We will come back next week, and it will be full-on Titans training camp. We will have a great discussion for you prepared leading into training camp. And you know we will have great conversations with our friends in the Nashville media talking about your favorite teams. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, as always, to our supporters at DraftKings Sportsbook and Two Rivers Ford. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast and in the meantime stay safe stay clean and as always Nashville stay hot when next we talk it will be football season in some way shape or form and I can't wait to speak to you then